You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Okay, it's good to see you. The book of Jonah is where we are, so you're going to want to flip there. We're going to have a lot of territory to cover, and so you're going to want to make sure you, uh, you have that in front of you and you're ready. Um, okay, so this is going to be the 10th and final sermon in, in the book of Jonah. And I have to admit, like, I kind of feel like I'm leaving an old friend, you know? And so I've kind of grown accustomed to it, and I, I'm going to kind of be uh, sad to leave it, leave it. It's such a rich section of the Word of God. Um, but thankfully, the rest of the Bible is really rich too, right? And so, so here's the plan for the morning. Um, I'm going to try to recap and, and re-emphasize, kind of from a 30,000-foot level, some of the major themes of each chapter. And then we're going to get to a point this morning where we're going to kind of throw the mic back at you and allow um, allow you to kind of share what, what God has taught you over the last couple of months as we've um, journeyed through this book together. And so now just to clarify, let me set some ground rules because it's always scary to throw a microphone around. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, so for the ground rules, we're, we're not looking for like a theological debate or necessarily like a Q&A or another sermon, right? And so we're just looking for concise thoughts of this is how this is how us studying this together has has impacted my life and, and my heart, right? And so that's what we're going for. So we want to uh, just preface you, get, get ready for that. We want to hear from you, all right? <laughs> okay, so with that said, uh, Jonah, three reasons why we chose the book of Jonah to start out 2011. So let me just kind of throw these three um, reasons out for you. Number one, Jonah is a misunderstood book. And so uh, and when we basically introduced the, the book of Jonah, we, we did it by asking this question, what is the book of Jonah primarily about? And if you grew up in church, you, your likely response to that was something like this. It's about a man getting eaten by a fish. And you'd probably throw a whale in there, right? So that, that's probably where, where you would have gone. So let me say this for the last time together in Jonah. Jonah is not primarily about a man getting eaten by a fish. It's not primarily about a fish. It's not primarily about a man. And it's not primarily about the city of Nineveh. The story of Jonah is primarily about God. It's a storied presentation of the gospel. The, the, the book of Jonah takes these massive, enormous, theologically packed words and puts them in the form of a story, right? Okay, now in, we've read this um, repeatedly. One pastor was basically asking if you're going to kind of give, um, or if you're going to be the marketer for, for the movie Jonah, how would you describe that? What would your trailer sound like? And here was his response to that. Jonah is a storied presentation of the gospel. It's a story of sin and grace, of desperation and deliverance. It's a story that reveals that while you and I are great sinners, and we are, God is a great Savior, and aren't we thankful He is, right? It's a story of how a God of great expenditure relentlessly pursues self-righteous fugitives. It's a story that shows that while our sin reaches far, God's grace reaches further. It's a story that shows that God's capacity to clean things up is infinitely greater than our capacity to mess things up. Welcome to the book of Jonah. That's what it's primarily about. It's a storied presentation of the gospel. Okay, now here, here's the second reason why we wanted to do the book of Jonah is it reveals the missionary heart of God. The missionary heart of God is showcased throughout the scriptures, but this book specifically, this missionary heart, the others-oriented heart of God, 
pops from the pages of the book of Jonah with bright colors and with great clarity. You can't help but read the book of Jonah and see that God is a God for the nations, for people, for the world. You, you can't miss that. Two verses in, you see God commanding Jonah to, to go to Nineveh, call out against it. Two verses in, and we've spilled a lot of ink on this, but, but essentially Nineveh, the people of Assyria, are a cruel people, a brutal people. There are people that are opposed to the people of God, Israel, and opposed to God, that they represent what it means to live apart from God. And yet God has set the crosshairs of his affection on those people. He is looking at those people and saying, I am going to extend my grace to you, Nineveh. Assyria, an unlikely and a cruel people. You're getting it. And notice, like when you read through the book of Jonah, you do not see Nineveh asking for it. it nowhere in there are you going to find Nineveh praying that God would send a prophet to kind of give them the, the work. You don't see that anywhere. They're not wanting it. They don't want God to come. And yet the missionary God of the Bible, this other oriented God of the Bible, he takes the initiative, extending grace to these people. So you see the missionary heart of God showcased in Jonah. And then thirdly, you, you see the missionary heart of God's people revealed. You, you get this, this, this kind of exposure of what the heart of God's people it looks like. Okay, so now we would back up and say this, that the missionary heart of God, if you're a Christian, if God has saved you, if he's redeemed you and rescued you, that missionary heart of God lives inside of you. That, that same heart that, that beats for the world is the same heart that's beating inside of you. This is why Ezekiel um, 36 says that your heart of stone, when you get saved, when God saves you, your heart of stone is, is ripped out and, and in its place becomes this heart of flesh. So now the, the impulses of the heart of God are now your impulses. So, so we would take a step back and say that in the gospel, your identity is a missionary. This is who God has made you. This is what you are. But, but I love the brutal honesty in the book of Jonah, right? The brutal honesty of the book of Jonah says this, that yes, God has made you a missionary. Your heart is the same as, as now your, your missionary father's heart. So, so that is all lined up. But although you've been made a Christian, made a missionary like Jonah, it doesn't mean that all Christians are on the mission of God. That, that like Jonah, some of us have stiff-armed the mission of God for our preferences. That, that like Jonah, some of us are refusing to follow God on the mission. And so one of our hopes as we've studied through this book is that God would take you personally and us corporately to a place of repentance where we are turning from this heart of Jonah that we see all throughout the book, and we start to embrace God's heart for the world. Like we pray that for you, for us, for us as a people, us as a church. So, okay, so with those three reasons in view, um, let's, let's kind of take chapter by chapter some highlights of each one. So we'll start with chapter one. I'll just throw a general heading out for chapter one. Chapter one is a storied presentation of sin and grace. This is what we're seeing unpacked force and unveiled force in chapter one. This story of sin and grace pops from the pages. And so we'll, we'll take the, the story presentation of sin first. Look at the first couple of verses in Jonah. Jonah chapter one, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, here comes the command of God. Verse two, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now everyone reading the book of Jonah for the first time, take yourself back to that point. When you're reading it for the first time, you're thinking what everybody thinking, or what everybody reading it for the first time is thinking. Jonah is about to go. 
He's going to be a good prophet who obeys the commands of God, goes to Nineveh, speaks God's words there, and we'll see what happens. That's what you're thinking. But here comes the first of a series of shocking surprises. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. We get this stunning picture right from the get-go of sin and this heart of Jonah that is defying God. And when you think about this storied presentation of sin, although you never see the word in the text, like in our 48-verse storied presentation of the gospel, you never see the word sin, but you see the word sin everywhere in it, right? Sin in, in the storied presentation of the gospel is Jonah running from God. Jonah going in the other direction. And we camped on verse three for a whole week and, and kind of worked through this idea of running from God, this idea of sin. And we talked about how sin has multiple dimensions. There's both an outward work of running and an inward work of running. That what you see in verse three is the outward. You see Jonah running from God. God said go, Jonah said no. God said go to Nineveh. Geography tells a story here. God said go to Nineveh east. Instead, Jonah heads in the opposite direction to Tarshish, to the west. Tarshish was the far most western point of the known world at that time. So geography is telling you the story here. This is what it means to run from God. It means God says one thing and we do the exact opposite. This isn't like a, a slight deviation. This is a willful response to go in the opposite direction. Are we getting that? This is the, the, the reality of running from the surface here in, in, in verse 3. And let me just throw this out here because I hope God will settle this onto us somewhere and, and just lodge this in your heart. There will always be a ship ready to take you anywhere you want to run from God. Do you notice that? In, in, in verse 3, there just happens to be a ship there. It miraculously appears. The means and the money will always miraculously appear when you're wanting to run from God. Men, if you want another wife, if you want an affair, a ship in the form of a woman will show up ready for that. Ships will always be ready to take you away from the will of God, right? So this is what we're seeing here. We're seeing Jonah running from God. But running is bigger than just Jonah's behavior. This runs deeper than the outward work of running. There's an inward work of running. Sin is always bigger than your behavior. Your behavior is the fruit of sin. The root of sin is your belief, your heart, what you believe about life, God, yourself, and others. That's the root of sin. See, and this is what we're having unfolded here. This is why in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is looking at a crowd and he says, from out of your heart comes all of these things like evil thoughts, like adultery, like murder, like anger, like stealing, like lying. All of these things flow from your heart. See, that the heart is the root of sin. So, so what you see in chapter 3 is bigger than Jonah running from God in the other direction. Chapter 4 verse 2 gives us a picture of what's happening in Jonah's heart. Make sure you look at that, Jonah 4.2. We see in Jonah 4.2 that Jonah does not like God. He does not like the call of God in this situation. He really thinks he would know better than God in this situation. Jonah really thinks he would be a better God than God. 
This is the heart of Jonah. Jonah has set himself up, his heart up in defiance against God. He is looking at God and in his heart, he is saying, God, I have heard your command, but I do not care. I will not submit to your command. I will not comply with it. I will not obey it. God, I, I will do just fine on my own here. This is the heart of Jonah. This is what's happening in Jonah. See, this is the heart of sin. Sin is always bigger than behavior. When we sin against God, we are saying in our heart, God, I don't care what you say. I know better than you do. See, when we sin, sin is not the result of us acting as if there is no God in the universe. Sin is the result of us acting like we are the God of the universe. Do you see that? See, when, when you read chapter three or verse three, it's easy to say, okay, so he's heading to Tarshish. The, the, the issue is not him heading to Tarshish. The issue is that Jonah is committing treason in his heart. He is doing everything he can to, to overthrow and usurp the rightful rule of God in his heart, in his life. So this is what's happening here. So you've got running in multiple kind of dimensions in two layers, an outward and an inward. And we also see in chapter one that running has serious results associated with it, doesn't it? Look at the personal and the corporate results here. Chapter one shows the sweeping effects of sin in Jonah's life. There's interesting wordplay. Look at chapter chapter one, verse three, and then verse verse five. You see this idea of Jonah going down to Joppa, then verse five, he goes down into the ship. He's asleep in the ship. This is an intentional wordplay with the author where he is showing you the effects of sin. That it, it causes this downward spiral to begin in your life. See, it's showing that although sin promises a vibrant life for you, you end up asleep in a ship in the middle of a storm. Worse, you wake up and the lots fall on you, you're thrown overboard and you're eaten by a fish. Okay, it's showing you the personal effects of sin. It went bad for Jonah here. This was not a good day for Jonah. Jonah was a living illustration that sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will always cost you personally. But it also has a corporate dimension to the results of sin, doesn't it? The waves of Jonah's rebellion crashed upon everyone around him. Those poor sailors didn't even know what hit them. The waves of Jonah's rebellion almost killed them, right? So dad's in the room. Every dad, look at me. Your sin is not victimless. You will never sin in such a way that it's no harm, no foul. To various degrees, your sin will affect everyone around you. Dads, when you sin, everyone in your home is affected by that. Everyone. We could probably parade your your wife up here and let her speak to that if we wanted to, couldn't we? It affects everyone in your home. It affects your kids, wives, your moms. Your sin affects everyone around you. It is not victimless. Teenagers, if you want the quickest way to put a storm in the middle of a a home, that literally like everybody is crying out, hoping they're going to survive this thing, it is rebellious teenagers, isn't it? That is the quickest way to throw a storm right in the middle of a home. Teenagers in here. When you are revolting against the rule and reign of God in your life, it affects everyone around you. And see, and this is the, this is the tricky thing about sin, is it comes, in one author's words, it comes more like the tides than a tidal wave. It's subtle. 
See, for many of us in the room right now, we have been sucked miles away from the face of God and we don't even realize it. We rejected the commands of God so long that we don't even realize we're doing it. Sin is blooming in our life and we're completely blinded to it. We've rejected the commands for so long that we have this callous on our heart. This is why sin always acts like a narcotic. It subtly addicts you and then it destroys you. This is how sin works in our life. So, so just a word to runners in the room, it is going somewhere. It has an effect associated with it. We also see in chapter one, this, this beautiful picture, this storied presentation of grace. Look at verse four. But, first three uh, words here. And if you don't have these circles underlined, highlighted something in your Bible, you probably want to do that. But the Lord. First three words. See, this is, this is signaling the counteracting move of God. That God is coming for Jonah. That, that God not only cares for Jonah, but he is about to pursue Jonah in his sin. See, in our story presentation of the gospel, sin equals Jonah running from God. Grace equals God running after, relentlessly pursuing Jonah. This is grace in this text. So here's what you have in verse three. You've got Jonah, he flees to Joppa, verse four, but the Lord. Verse three, he finds a ship and pays his fare, verse four, but the Lord. Verse three, he not only pays his fare, he, he boards the boat, he is on his way to Tarshish. Verse four, but the Lord. The, those first three words of, of, chap, or of verse four, they are signaling that grace is on the way. And we spent a whole uh, morning on, on verse four trying to expand our view of grace, trying to help us see the size and the severity of the grace of God. So let's deal with the size there real quick. Verse four, the size of the grace of God. Isn't it interesting um, the form of that grace? Like the form of that grace doesn't come in, wow, I got a promotion. Well, I, th- th- a bigger paycheck. We just got a bigger house. It doesn't come in that form, does it? The, the, the form of grace that chapter or that verse four takes is the form of a storm. God smashes into Jonah in the form of a storm, and that is grace for Jonah. See, grace is bigger than those things, than only those things that you perceive of to be good for your life. Got a promotion. We're pregnant. We got a house. We got a better, we, whatever it is. It's bigger than those things that you perceive of to be good. It also encompasses those things that you would perceive to be bad for your life. That storm is a worst case scenario for Jonah. He does not want that thing to happen, right? And that is grace from God to his life. See, this is the beautiful reality of the gospel is the gospel transforms all of our trials into grace. Every trial becomes grace for us. And here's why that's true. Because in the gospel, the all-powerful, sovereign God of the universe, like that God that Jonah 1.9 is going to say he created the, the dry land and the sea, that, that Isaiah 46 is going to say that he planned the end from the beginning, this great and sovereign God in the gospel also becomes our good dad. Are you getting that? This is a gospel reality. You're an adopted son or daughter of God. And that good dad, according to Romans 8.28, is working all things for your good. That means pain and that means pleasure. That means a candlelight dinner with your wife. That means cancer. That means great suffering. That means good health. That means all of it. Because of the gospel, we can sit back and ultimately say, 
this is going to be grace for us. This is grace. So this is the size of God's grace that we see here. But we also see the severity. Look at verse 4. Look at these descriptive words in verse 4. It says the Lord hurled this great wind upon the sea. They call it a mighty tempest. It says the ship threatened to break up. Verse 5, the mariners were terrified. These are hardened sailors terrified by what's going on here. So see, you can either view this in one of two ways when it comes to to the severity of God's grace that we're seeing here. This is one way. You could look at the storm and say, this is a picture of God's, of God punishing Jonah. That would be a wrong way to view it, but you could view it that way. You, or you could say this, this would be a right way to view it. That that storm is a picture of God's pursuing grace ready to rescue Jonah. See, that picture is not primarily a portrait of God's wrath against sin. It's primarily a portrait of God's pursuing grace, listen to this, for his saints while they're in the midst of sin. See, this is what that storm is doing. That storm is evidence that God will spare no expense in his relentless pursuit of his sons and daughters. See, what we're being introduced to here in verse 4 is the intervening grace of God. You ever had that happen where God totally interrupts and intervenes your plans to destroy yourself? This is what's happening here. And we use this illustration. Of, uh, picture yourself, kind of, you're a fly on the wall in a doctor's office. And a patient comes in and the doctor says, listen, you've got a disease. In one week, you are dead. This is, this is about to go really bad for you. But then he pulls a pill out of his pocket and says, but here's the great news. It is, I've got this pill. It's your cure. You don't have to die in a week. I mean, you've got a disease that will kill you, but you don't have to. This will cure you. This will fix you. But instead, this patient looked at the doctor and says, hey, I hear what you're saying, but here's what I think about you. You're crazy. I don't know where you went to medical school, but I, I don't trust any of this. And not only do I not trust you, but I don't trust that pill. That pill is not a cure for me. That pill is poison. And he, the patient gets up, runs out of the office. Now, let's ratchet that up and, and let's do this. Let's say that you, mom or dad, you're the doctor. And that's your son, that's your daughter, that's the patient. They run out of that doctor's office to their death. What would you do about that? As a dad, as a mom. You would run after them, wouldn't you? And I love, love this terminology. You would use tender violence on them, wouldn't you? You would do whatever it takes to get the medicine in the mouth. If you have to knock out a tooth, that's an acceptable loss. If you have to put them in a chokehold, that's acceptable. Break an arm, it's all acceptable to save their life, right? See, this is what we're being exposed to with God here. God will do whatever it takes. He will even use tender violence on Jonah to bend his heart back toward him. And, and so this is how we ended that, by just saying this. A word to all runners. That's all of us in the room, by the way, in certain areas. A word to all runners. It's not, it's not a matter of if God is going to catch you and bring you back. If you're a son or daughter of his, he's going to do that. The, the issue is, how much tender violence can you endure? Because that's the great, that grace is coming. It, it's after you. Wherever you're running, that grace of God's running after. And so it's just a matter of how, how much of that do you want to endure. Okay, that, that's chapter one. Chapter two. We see this beautiful theme of desperation and deliverance come to the surface in chapter two. Okay, now remember, in, in chapter two, we start to see things happen in Jonah that we haven't seen yet. For instance, look at verse one of chapter two. Jonah actually prays. 
Jonah in chapter 1 is the only one not praying. Okay, look at um, verse 4. He's actually concerned about seeing God again in the temple. He is now a person that wants the presence of God. In chapter one, he's doing everything he can to flee from the presence of God. But now you've got a man that that has new appetites, a new desire for God and his presence and his people. Um, Not only that, look at verse eight. You've got You've got Jonah with a new sense of God's compassion. In chapter one, Jonah is disgusted with pagan sailors and the people of Nineveh. At best, he's indifferent to them. But now with a view of these pagan sailors in chapter one, worshiping these false gods, calling out to these false gods, Jonah in in Jonah 2.8 says this, those, these pagan sailors, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. He was disgusted by them, indifferent to them. Now his heart is breaking for them. See, now compassion is shading the way Jonah views the world. And not only that, in verse nine, you see Jonah with a new resolve to follow God. Verse 9, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. I think this has in view probably that first moment where God called Jonah to be a prophet, his man on his mission. That required absolute surrender from Jonah. God, I'll do whatever, whenever, I'll say whatever you want. God, I, I'm yours. And I think in that moment, God is reawakening him, awakening him to how, how far he has drifted from that, how far he has moved from that. And Jonah resolves, God, I am back. I I am with you. Your plan, your purposes, I'm in on that. And we said this, that don't we want those things for our church to be a praying people, a people of compassion, a people that seek the presence of God, has a resolve to follow God? And, And then we said, if we want that, then we've got to be willing to endure the means that God uses for that. And do you remember the means that God used to, to thaw Jonah's heart in chapter two? First of all, here was means number one. This is a little bit difficult. Means number one, God caused great distress upon Jonah. God brought about great distress, right? If you look at these first seven verses in chapter two, you're seeing the words of a man that's closer to death than life. That's what you're seeing play out here. And then look at verse three here, what Jonah says about all this distress that has come upon him. Here's what he says. For you, that's God, for you, God, for God, you have cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves, God, and your billows, God, they have passed over me. See, see, Jonah has a view that this is the act of God in his life, that God has brought about this great distress. And listen, this great distress that was brought by God is not an act of wrath. It is an act of mercy. See, Jonah's problem is that Jonah had not gotten to the end of Jonah. Jonah really thought that his savvy, that his wisdom, that his smarts, that his power really kind of gave him the edge to kind of manage his own life. He didn't know that he needed God yet. And so God used distress in Jonah's life. He, God used a bruising. Do you remember that word? God bruised Jonah. And that bruising was a blessing from God to show Jonah how much he really needed God, to create in Jonah a desperation for God. See what you have in chapter two, you never had in chapter one. In chapter two, you've got Jonah saying, God, I need you. I'm in trouble if you don't come through right here. See, that's what you have coming through in chapter two. And don't we wanna be a church like that that has an active awareness of God, we need you. See, see, to do that in Jonah, God put Jonah in the crushing crucible of affliction. 
And that affliction was God's means to create desperation in his heart. So so we looked at just some historic examples of some people in the church history who who have backed that up. So we looked at Tozer who said, you know, it's doubtful that a, a God will ever use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Until that man knows, that woman knows that they are dependent upon God, it's likely that God will never use them in great ways. Uh, we, we looked at this quote from Ralph Tilly, and I want to read this to you. It'll be on the screen for you. He, he said this, Could it be that too many of our Lord's servants today are praying for God to bless them? God, give me the promotion. Give, give me the bigger paycheck. Give me the bigger whatever. To bless them when instead God wants to wound them, bruise them, crush them. Too often our prayers consist of bless me, bless me, bless me, when they should be wound me, bruise me, crush me. In our rush to be successful, we have fought off being wounded by God. In our struggle to become somebody, we have shied away from God's bruising blows to our self-centered egos and unsanctified ambitions. So if we want to be a people who, who realize our need for God, aware of that, it takes distress. It takes a crushing of God. It takes a bruising of God. And here's the great thing about chapter two, though. It's not just a God who brings about great distress. It's also a God who brings about great deliverance, isn't it? That not only does God create the distress, God is eager to meet Jonah in it. Look at the end of of chapter one, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. That fish is not God's punishment for Jonah. That fish is God's means of rescue for Jonah. That is God coming through with great deliverance, with a rescue, with salvation. This is what God's doing with that fish. And look what Jonah says about it in verse 2 of chapter 2. He he goes on to say, and he answered me. He looks at God and says, you have heard my voice. In in verse 6, he says, you have brought my life up from the pit. See, Jonah is realizing this desperation and this deliverance, this great and grand gospel theme, that that theme is starting to melt Jonah's heart. It is starting to crush Jonah's defiance to where now he is going to respond in this obedient call um, to God. He's going to go and he's going to preach to Nineveh. See, that all came about with distress and deliverance. So if we want to be a people praying, a people of compassion, a people with the resolve to follow God, who want the presence of God, we've got to welcome God's bruising blows, his distress and his deliverance. Amen? Chapter three, we get to see this beautiful theme of God's amazing grace. And just quickly here, we see God's amazing grace come out in two different ways. One to the people, or to Jonah, to that rebellious prophet, right? To our friend who just can't seem to get this thing right, right? So, so we see it come out to Jonah. Look at the first couple of uh, verses in chapter three. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out the message that I tell you. And it's so easy to read over that without stopping to ponder the amazing picture of grace here, that God holds no grudges against Jonah. That's a beautiful thing. That in the gospel, because of the work of Jesus on the cross, God holds no grudges. Here's the good news of the gospel. That all of God's grudge against us was piled onto Jesus. So that now because of the cross, all of God's pursuing affection is sent for us. 
See, this is the great news of the gospel, that God no longer holds grudges against us. And we see a God here that doesn't negotiate with Jonah. The same command in chapter 1, verse 2, is exactly what we read in chapter 3, verse 2. He doesn't lighten and lessen it. Those commands are good for our life. And we see a God that does not give up on Jonah. I would have chosen a different prophet. I don't know about you. I would go for like a, a round two of like the draft here though. But not God. He is relentless in his pursuit of his man. And some of us just need to be reminded of this because some of us in here today really think that we have dug a hole of sin around our life that is too deep and too dangerous for God to dig his hand into. And it's not true. Jonah is, is a perfect portrayal of this. The cross is, the gospel is, Jesus on a cross, that the cross is God's definitive statement to the world that he will not give up on his sons and daughters, that he will not pause in his pursuit of us, that he will not halt in his hunt for our heart. See, the cross is God's definitive statement that he will never, ever, ever give up. But we also see the amazing grace of God toward the people of Nineveh, don't we? We see God pour out his grace in an unparalleled way on these people. The city is turned upside down. Widespread repentance takes place. And we kind of camped on this idea of repentance. And we talked about how repentance always starts with a collision with the word of God. Jonah hears God's word. He speaks God's word. And the Holy Spirit empowers that. Five words in the Hebrew text. The Holy Spirit empowers that. And a whole city is wrought. A whole city repents. And so we, we said this, that this is why it's so important for you to live in the word of God. God has sent his word to you to convince you to divorce your sin and to marry his son. See, the, the God's word is the way that God instigates, that he brings about repentance in our heart. It all starts there. And, and this revival that happens there, this widespread repentance, it produced a comprehensive change in the city of Nineveh. Not only in their heart, verse 5, it says in chapter 3, they believed God, but also in their actions. Look at what it says in verse 8. It says, let everyone, and this is the actions, this is how deep the repentance happened there. Verse 8, let everyone turn from his evil way. That's a general way of saying, turn from your sin. But then it goes on to say, and from the violence that is in his hands. That's Nineveh's specific area of sin. So it's also specific. See, repentance is never, God, I've sinned, forgive me. Repentance is always more specific than that. Repentance is, God, I have sinned, and this is how I've sinned. Pornography, immorality, anger, a critical spirit, worry, gluttony, God, this is how you have commanded me to love my wife and I'm not doing that. This is, God, this is how you've commanded me to love my husband. I'm not doing that. This is the mission of your mission that you've called me to get on and I'm not on your mission. See, it's always specific. And so we ended that by just saying, is repentance normal for you? Is repentance ongoing for you? Does it happen repeatedly for you? See, we never grow out of repentance. If you want to measure the growth you have spiritually, the growth you have toward God, it, it, a better test is not, or, well, let me say it this way. The best way to determine that is not by, by looking at the lack of sin in your life. A, a better way of determining your growth toward Christ is looking at how often you repent. How, is that normal? Do you read the word of God and repent after you do it? And then, and then chapter four, 
And, and you're coming, by the way, you're, you're next. So chapter four, we see the contrast between the, the missionary heart of God and the tribal heart of Jonah. We see the contrast and the question. And so basically, we, we've got these two things set beside each other. We've got the heart of God over here. It's, it's a missionary heart. It's an others-oriented heart that is pursuing people, takes the initiative toward people. And then you've got Jonah over here who is tribal. He is self-absorbed. He is, he is consumed with his ways, his wishes, his will. He's consumed with that. He cannot get past his own life. He can't do it. He's tribal. As long as he's okay and his people are okay, then Jonah is okay. See, this is the tribal heart of Jonah. So we've got this contrast here. And, And the book of Jonah is written to the people of Israel to expose this issue in them. It is God saying through the book of Jonah, people of Israel, do you see Jonah's heart? It's tribal. It's self-absorbed. Now, do you see my heart? People of Israel, this is your problem. Your heart looks more like Jonah's than it does mine. And that same message carried forward needs to reverberate in the church today and needs to shake the saints today. That same question of church, do you see Jonah's tribal heart over here? Do you see God's missional heart over here? What does your heart look more like? Church, are we convinced that God is for the world, for the nations? for our neighborhoods, for our cities? And if so, are we for them? Or have we settled into to being real complacent in Jonah's heart over here? See, it, asks, it gives this contrast and it asks you the question. It lead, has kind of that awkward silence at the end. Like, it's, it's your question to answer. But what, what is your heart more like? Okay, now let's, let's pause there. And we're going to open it up to the floor. We've got a couple of mics. We're going to try to get this on recording. So you're going to have to help us here in throwing up hands. But we would love to hear from you over the last couple of months in how God has used those big themes to start interacting with your heart and to start exposing things in you, to, to encourage you, to, to start shaking things out in you. So we'd love to hear how God has used Jonah in your life. So with that said, I'm kind of scared right now, but I'm excited at the same time. <laughs> We're looking for that first one, right? That first one. <laughs> See, this is the key. That first one is, yeah. And just as an aside, I've got all day, really. I don't have anywhere to be. (laughs) Denise in the back there. Thank you, Denise. I'm breathing a lot easier right now. (laughs) Okay, I think it was chapter two. Um, It just really uh, stood out to me that Jonah tried to run from God and thought he could hide from God. And I think a lot of us think that, that in our sin that we can hide it from God and we can't. And the second one was in chapter four, and that was um, thinking that a plant is more important than the people of Nineveh. And I think that we all need to look at that also. Yeah, thanks, Denise, very much. Phil, we got Phil next over here, too. Um, I just... um Really, the, the whole chapter, of course, ministered to me because about two weeks before I started coming to this church, um, the Lord started speaking to me that I had a Jonah heart. Um, yeah. And for a long time, I just didn't have a heart for my neighborhood. And we were going to a church that was like in the city of Dallas. And it was really hard to, you know, to have a heart when we're so scattered that way, you yeah. know, for our area. But also just some things that God showed me that I was judgmental about um, people in my neighborhood and 
just maybe, you know, certain types of people and stuff. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, we think prejudice sometimes is just, you know, a certain color or something like that. But it's just, you know, we can be prejudiced different types of people that we don't like, that mm-hmm. we're not comfortable around or whatever. And so the Lord had just started showing me that. And it was really neat when I came here and you were starting to study the book of Jonah. And that was also a confirm- more of a, one of the other confirmations that the Lord was bringing us here. Great. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, for me, it's been um, the rentless pursuing of my life. You know, mm-hmm. there's things that every day it's happened where, okay, God, what are you doing? Why are you chasing me? You know, that sort of thing. And and even goes back further, you know, uh, uh, 13 years ago when things happened. And it's like, you know, this is for my benefit. Is That's what's changed me is thinking, you know, the bad things aren't really all that bad. It's for... For my benefit, my uh, yeah. growing in God, I think that's what's uh, helped me through the Book of Jonah here lately. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate that. Uh, I think the idea of God's grace being in the storm and in the fish. I think back on. I've always seen the fish as the punishment, yeah. and I think back on my life when God has brought me out of something with a fish and vomited me up on the shore. Uh, but I I stand in fear of being swallowed by a fish again rather than seeing that God brought me out with that fish, yeah. that it was a, a work of His. So. Yeah, thanks, Isaac. Um, for me, it's just um, I really have thought that uh, it was so easy to serve God, but I realized that like in Jonah, it stood out to me how he was just a good prophet, and then when something hard came, he just totally ran from God. Yeah. And he just, I don't want to be like that, and I've been being like that, so I really want to change, and that's what stood out to me. Thanks for sharing that. Can you hear me? Oh, we got Two main takeaways for me was um, that Jonah's problem, which is our problem, is the idol of self sits on the throne of our lives mm-hmm. as opposed to, to having God on the throne of our lives. And we cannot know his direction and his will and his way as long as that is the case. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is, um, is God is, is a, a God of second chances. Uh, and just like this, this month's memory verse says that if we'll just forsake our wicked ways and our unrighteous thoughts and turn return to the Lord that he'll have compassion on us mm-hmm. and uh, that he will abundantly pardon. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that just tells us that his mercy and grace is bigger than our sin could ever yeah. be. Thanks, Bill. Where would we be without a God of second chances, right? Who else? Bryce, over here in the middle. Uh, he's kind of shown me that for... Every ship that's there to take us away from his will, he's got a ship to take us back like every step of the way. You know, it doesn't matter how far away we go or how, I guess, how like early on in running away we are. He's always ready to take us back and bring us to his will. That's a great point. Yeah. But there's always a fish on the way back too. you know. Uh, Something that stuck out to me was um, whenever you were talking about how like big and bad Nineveh was and stuff. um, it just took a, the word from God to come to him, uh, and like the whole city, 
like from the greatest to least, every single person repented. And for me in my life, uh, I'm just so scared to uh, to witness and spread the gospel. But because I feel like I'm just like a weak little person and it's not going to do any good. But there's so much power in just his word, like just his word. And so much power he has that has been given to us through his word and yeah. just through him. It's really helped me. That's such a great point. Five Hebrew words, probably with a heart of no compassion at all. And God uses that, you know, to redeem a city. So yeah, for sure. Thank you. Okay, for me, yeah. um, something like when you talked about that quote, you said it again, that I'm definitely the person that's praying, bless me, bless me, bless me, instead of wound me or crush me or bruise me. Um, but just something that you said earlier is that God is more concerned with our holiness than our happiness. And it's just that, uncomfortable refinement process that's not fun all the time and that's yeah. painful um but i mean i just think of like in the process of making diamonds like the coal is put under pressure and it's hurting and it's not mm-hmm. fun but then the something is so much more beautiful after that and yeah. just that constant pursuit of the lord like it could be that tender violence that's not fun all the time but just yeah. the process of it leads up to something so much more beautiful yeah. at the end so Thank you, Stephanie, very much. It was interesting. In the first service, we had a, a lady that just started coming that um, talked about she, she had just been walking through a bout with cancer. And that whole idea of the size of the storm, like that, that size of grace, that whole idea was, was an anchor for her soul in the midst of that. So it was really encouraging in the first service hearing her kind of throw that out as um, just the fruit of that sort of a recognition of how God works in the world and in our own life. So, let's see. Anybody else want to take a shot or two? Anybody else? Going once. Going twice. (laughs) Okay, I think we're done. Thank you guys for sharing. And for those who didn't, next time around, we're we're ready for you, all right? (laughs) Okay, we'll we'll end end with this. I I think it's interesting to consider what happens to Jonah. Like, what, what's the end of the story? Like, is there a moment in, in the future where he repents and he, he turns from this tribal heart and embraces the missionary heart of God? Is there a moment that happens or not? And the, the strange thing is, is the Bible leaves it silent. We, we don't know. A lot of scholars think that he did primarily because we have the book of Jonah, right? It's like, who, it's pretty good evidence. Like, who, who would throw the ugliness of that book out there unless you've repented, you know? And so a lot of scholars think that there was a moment that, that he might have repented. But at the end of the day, the, the primary focus of the book is not for Jonah to answer the question, what, what happens to him? Like It's not to, to fill in that last response of Jonah. The primary purpose of the book is to, for us to fill in that last response with our lives. And so the, the reason that we wanted to preach through Jonah is to give you a moment at the end of this series to examine your life and where needed for you to repent. And I, I want to talk to you just as a pastor as we close today, that I, I feel like we're 18 months into, our, into Stone, the life of Stonegate. So we're still a baby in the grand scheme of things here, just as a church. And, and we're at a crucial moment in the life of our church, though. We're, we're setting a trajectory of where we're going to be in five years, 10 years, and 20 years from now with what happens to us right now in these moments. 
And either we will be one of two things. We'll either be kind of this option one, this, this tribal heart of Jonah, this church. And there's a lot of churches like this, by the way. This church that is all, I mean, just absorbed with their wants, their wishes, their will, that, that is totally stiff-armed the mission of God and, and kind of preference to their own preferences and their own wants and desires. So, so we can be that church. And listen, the churches are like that everywhere, and, and that's here. That, that's a lot of us in the room right now, that, that we're, we're option one people still. We, when we kind of lay our life before the, the missionary heart of God and the tribal heart of Jonah, we, we are Jonah. We are that. We love to experience grace, but we have not started to extend grace. We have not started praying for our neighborhood. We don't invite people in uh, into our lives that don't know Jesus. We're not doing that yet. We're, we're okay as long as our life is okay still. So, so we can be that. And if we're that, if we're option one, we are nailing in kind of the first nail in our coffin is, is what we're doing. I mean, we're sealing our church's own long-term faith. Or we can be option number two. We can examine our life and repent where it's necessary and embrace the missionary heart of God. We can become a people who is broken for our city, who prays for those who don't know Jesus, like really, really prays for people who don't know Jesus, who is involved in God's mission to get the gospel out amongst the nations and in our neighborhoods, who actually invites people into our lives that don't know Jesus, where we get the beautiful privilege to demonstrate the gospel in the way we live and declare the gospel in the way that we speak, and who gets gets the, just the incredible opportunity to watch God do in, in, in the midst of our neighborhood, in our social circle, in a co-worker. We get to see God do in them what he did in Nineveh. Like, What if we got to see in Nineveh happen here? where a city is turned upside down, where repentance goes mainstream, right? Where, where lives are changed, where people are saved, where God is savored. See, that's option number two for us. And my hope is, is that we'll examine our life and repent and that God might do something like that through us. Amen? May it be. Let's pray. We're going to finish today. I want, I want to pray over you. And then uh, we're going to sing one last song. And my, my hope for you is that God would drive these things deep. He would not let you escape them. And dads, I, I really want to throw the, the burden of this challenge on, on you. That at the end of the day, you're, you're the one that will answer the first question for your home. Are you on the mission of God or not? Is your family self-absorbed as long as you're okay and they're okay, then life is okay? Or can you see past, past that to, to God's global mission amongst the nations in your neighborhood? And so dads, I, I want to just set that on you as we finish this up. And I, I want to ask you to make sure that, that you do the hard work of praying this into your family, of thinking how this applies to your family, of, of answering the question. What does the heart of our family look like? Are we in on the mission of God or not? And so God, I pray over our church. I pray over our people. I pray over our men, our women, our families. God, will you, by your grace, make us this. God, if it takes distress, 
If it takes a bruising, God, we want to be this. We want to see our need for you. And we want to live on your mission, following your commands. And so God, will you please help us? God, will you help us as a church to embrace your heart for the world? Will you help us as families embrace your heart for the nations, your heart for the neighborhood? God, will you put in us an unquenchable desire to see people know and experience your grace? God, will you do that for us? I pray that you would. So God, drive these things deep, massage them deeply into our muscles. God, make them who we are. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.